Swedish school teacher was looking for rooms in Switzerland. And she called upon the local schoolmaster to help her find an apartment that would be suitable. Such rooms were found, and she returned to London uh, with her belongings to get her belongings. She remembered that she had not noticed a bathroom in the apartment. She was rather old-fashioned. She called it a water closet, and so she wrote to the schoolmaster and asked, indeed, if there was a WC in or near the apartment. The schoolmaster was Swiss and unfamiliar with this English expression. So he inquired of the local priest, always a good bet if you want to know what's going on, and he offered to help. He was sure that WC must refer to Wesleyan Chapel. They discussed the matter together, and the schoolmaster uh, agreed to write a letter. The lady received the following letter a few days later. Dear Madam, the WC is located nine miles from the house. It is in the heart of a beautiful grove of trees. It will seat 150 people at one time. It is open on Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Sundays. Some people like to make a holiday of their visit. On Thursdays, there is an organ accompaniment. The acoustics are very good. The slightest sound can be heard by anyone. We are now in the process of taking donations to purchase plush seats. We feel that this is a long-felt need, as the present seats have holes in them. My wife is rather delicate, and she hasn't been able to attend regularly. It has been six months since she last went. Naturally, it pains her not to be able to go more often. I will close now with a desire to accommodate you in every way possible. I will be happy to save you a seat either down the front or near the door. Talking at cross purposes. Um, we have all done it. We've all been in the conversation where we think we're saying one thing and somebody else is hearing another. And at first sight, the conversation between Jesus and the Samaritan woman just looks like this. Talk about mountains, they talk about uh, they talk about drinking water. What is going on? To understand a little of this, you need to appreciate the enmity that there was between the Jews and the Samaritans. Just as fights between brothers are the worst, so conflicts between people who are closely related can be especially hard. The Jews and the Samaritans, Jesus was a Jew, uh, Samaritan woman was from Samaria, shared a common lineage. Their faiths were closely related, but distinct. They each viewed the other as heretics. The Jews worshipped in a temple in Jerusalem, the Samaritans upon Mount Gerazim. They had little to do with each other. The Jewish historian Josephus says that on one occasion, pilgrims on their way to Jerusalem had been attacked and killed by local Samaritans. Once Samaritans in revenge had scattered pig's bones in the temple in Jerusalem. On another occasion, a Jewish leader and commander had ruthlessly destroyed the Samaritans' temple. None of these things was forgotten by either side. And to this context, set the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, 
and steps to this world that he might break down barriers. The first barrier Jesus seeks to break down is a cultural barrier, the barrier between Jew and Samaritan. Jesus is traveling through Samaria. He is on enemy territory. A good Jew, a good rabbi in Jesus' day would have nothing to do with a Samaritan woman. In a world of historical enmities, hatreds, suspicions, and conflicts, there need to be people who will cross barriers. And Jesus is the ultimate barrier crusher. He's not just a person. He is God incarnate, the word made flesh. And he's come not just to cross barriers, but to break down barriers. Through his death and resurrection, he will destroy the barrier between people and God and people and one another. Jesus crosses a gender barrier too. One expert in the background of the day, Professor Craig Keener, writes this. According to the Jewish uh, sages, Jewish men were to avoid unnecessary conversation with women. There were six activities listed as unbecoming for a rabbi or a teacher such as Jesus. And one of these was conversing with a woman in public. In theory, this was the opinion that a wife could be divorced without her marriage settlement if she simply spoke to a man in public. This is the world God enters into in Jesus. This is the cultural context in which conversation happens. And yet nothing will stop Jesus from sharing the good news of where life is to be found with this woman. He opens up the conversation and he does so with great sensitivity. He asks for a drink. The scholar Eugene Peterson says this. She is surprised and she is also wary. Do you see an edge in her voice in reply? Oh, is it with you, a Jew, to ask a drink of him, a woman in Samaria? Does she mistrust this man sitting at the well? She has had good reason to. She has had a hard life. Later on in the story, we'll find that she's been married five times, and the man uh, she lives with is not her husband. It's not difficult to imagine a, a scenario of serial rejections, multiple failures, year after year accumulating wounds and scars. This woman is a visitor. And to be near a man is to be near danger. What is this stranger going to do? What is he going to say next? But God is present. And Jesus is going to offer her living water. They're talking at the side of Jacob's well. Jacob is one of the patriarchs, one of their common ancestors. Both uh, Jew and Samaritan would trace their lineage back to Jacob. The first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, we read the story of, of uh, Jacob moving into the country, of him settling the land, and he digs a well. His well would become famous. It was a well that would never run dry. 
simple fact is it was exceptionally deep, and it was fed by underground streams. Even in the driest of seasons, you could still draw water from Jacob's well. The Jews called these streams living water. What we might call running water, in contrast to the still water of a pool or a lake. Pools which could dry up, lakes which could grow stagnant. But running water, living water, quenches thirst, revitalizes and restores, refreshes and gives life. And this is what Jesus offers this woman. This is what Jesus offers to anyone who would come to him. Verse 13. Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become a spring of living water, welling up to eternal life. A little bit later on in the story of Jesus, chapter 7, Jesus stands up in public in a court and says this. If anyone is thirsty, let them come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, streams of living water will flow from within them. The last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. Jesus appears to John in a vision and says this. Write this down, for these words are true. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of eternal life. Profound, profound Jesus is making in these statements. He's claiming not just to be a good teacher, a rabbi that you can follow, a moral leader. He's claiming to be more than simply an example we can follow. He's claiming to be able to satisfy the longings of the human heart. Jesus is claiming to be able to give life, a life that overflows. He's claiming to be able to revitalize, refresh tired souls, to breathe life into dead hearts. He's claiming to be able to bestow the gift of God's peace. He's making the offer of eternal life and claiming it is only found in Verse 28, we read, the woman left her pot, ran back to her village, and invited them to come and meet Jesus. If you're here this morning, you're a guest or a visitor, you wouldn't call uh, yourself a Christian. I think the point of this for you is, this is something to be delighted in, if you consider the Christian faith. This is who we say Jesus is. This is Jesus as he came to be in his own life. The one who gives life. The one who restores. The one who heals, who satisfies, who refreshes. I am the way, the truth, and the life, says Jesus. This is the Jesus we should be offering to others. And if you're here today and you're a Christian, you'll see yourself as a follower of Christ, there's a couple of outworkings of this for today. First is this. We need to be filled and refilled 
give God's name person of the Trinity, along with the Father and the Son, is sometimes described as the breath of God. And breathing is a helpful analogy of of how we might receive more of him in our lives. We need to breathe in air to live. And so we need to allow God's Holy Spirit to come into our lives and into our hearts. where you've drawn close to God or been aware of God uh, drawing close to you, you sense his Holy Spirit presence. Well, as living people, as breathing people, we don't take just one or two breaths a year, hold it in for as long as we can, and then take another one when we're in some sort of extremis. We breathe in and out. And so it is with God's presence. And it is gifts of the Holy Spirit. It needs to be received again and again, afresh and afresh. We need to be filled and refilled with God's presence. We have a pattern of breathing. We don't think about it. It's it's natural. But we need to see a pattern of being filled with God's presence. A regular pattern of prayer and the reading of scripture. This is what kept Jesus in close connection with his father. This is what will help us in the life of God's people. There is no other way. There is no other way to receive him except to seek him. We need to take some time each day to stop and be quiet with God. is there to be thankful for? What is there to seek forgiveness for? Spend some time to worship in words or song, to breathe in his presence. When I run dry, I turn afresh to the scriptures. I turn again to the gospels. I read again of the story of Jesus. And I pray, Lord, show me yourself afresh. Teach me how to live. And give me the desire to live according to your holy will. with God's presence. The other thing that flows from this is we need to to cross a few barriers too. Jesus would say to his disciples, freely you have received, now freely give. Freely you've received, now freely give. An instruction for his disciples 2,000 years ago and an instruction for his disciples today. If we're to be faithful followers of Jesus, then what that entails is giving that which we have received. Have you found joy in Christ? Then share that joy with others. Have you found peace in Christ? Then speak of that peace to others whose lives are being turned upside down. Has Jesus given you strength in difficult times? Then tell friends who are struggling who it is that has enabled you to get through those times. The biggest barrier for many of us is our English reserve. We need to be brave. We need to pray that we might take note of every opportunity. We need to be prepared to pray with others, that they might too discover God for themselves. I have a, a, a poker chip 
um, so we have nothing to look at too much. Uh, this is a, a poker chip. It's one of our uh, set that we have as a family. We like to play poker, get the kids together, and we use uh, these chips. And we have, we have a tradition that however we're going, whether we're kind of winning or losing, when we get to the final rounds, when, the, when me and Tanya are desperate to get the kids uh, to bed, um, everybody goes all in. If you've got a big pack of chips, you put them in the middle. If you've got a little stack of chips, you put them in the middle. And you go all in. Being a follower of Jesus is saying, I am all in. I'm all in. Everything I have is yours. Following Christ shows us that he is all in for us. All in in terms of the cross. All in through the resurrection. Father, we are thirsty. Those of us who've been Christians for many years are thirsty. Those of us who are just finding out who you are are thirsty. But you promise to give us whatever you ask for. So help us to receive that. Help us to offer ourselves